If you're lucky enough to be the parent of a child with a disability, or one who is differently abled, as author, professor, and autism advocate Dr. Temple Grandin would say, you're in a special minority. In the United States, there are 2.8 million children, aged 5 to 15, who have some kind of disability. And adults? How about 26% or 61 million who live with everyday challenges to their mobility, cognition, independent living, hearing, vision, or self-care? For the most part, the infrastructure of society is built for people without disabilities. Endless stairways, curbs without step-free access, revolving doors or entries without a power option, elevators without braille, verbal public announcements missed by those with hearing loss and playgrounds built without ground-level activities are just a few examples. Imagine, or maybe you don't have to, caring for a dependent with a sensory processing disorder. In the United States alone, 1 in 20 people, children, teens, and adults, experience some degree of difficulty filtering information from one or more of their heightened seven senses. An overload of stimuli to their sight, hearing, sense of touch, taste and smell, balance and body awareness becomes stressful, painful, or even terrifying, sometimes resulting in overtly panicked responses. It's confusing and exhausting. For families with loved ones with special needs, in many aspects, life is a bit different from those of us who don't. Movement through society requires significant planning or doing without, skirting beloved experiences because of space limitations, or coping with general misunderstanding at large. So what happens when a Pittsburgh airport machinery operator reluctantly drops a letter in his workplace suggestion box and the CEO responds in a big way? How does a simple ask create a special bond between him and an otherwise unfamiliar co-worker, and how does their work create a lasting impression on a Denver mom whose visit to the Steel City was not only bearable, but a beacon? It's called Sound of Silence, and our story starts here. From the studios of Hum Productions, I'm Brooke Bechtold, and this is Impactually. People with disabilities are one of the largest minorities in the United States. The Americans with Disabilities Act was passed in 1990, a battle hard won by thousands of people who came together against impossible obstacles, demonstrating the power of consideration and needs of many. Because of that movement's heroes, today people with disabilities have a voice and are seeing increased opportunities to live in a society that's equipped to meet their needs and make space for everyone. Jason Rudge is a dad. Since the day Presley was born, loving this little boy was Jason and Sharon Rudge's everything. So many of us can relate to the excitement of parenthood, meeting our children for the first time, anxious about how to care for them, excited to watch them grow into little people and then adults. Jason and Sharon were certainly no exception. 
When Presley was born, every hope and dream came alive. Then at six months, they began to notice Presley wasn't hitting development milestones like some of the other children. And at two, he was diagnosed with autism, or autism spectrum disorder, which refers to a broad range of conditions characterized by challenges with cognitive function, social skills, repetitive behaviors, and speech. Knowing little about it, Jason and Sharon dove for answers on how to help him now and what to expect in the future. Can you tell us about Presley? Yeah. So um, he's five years old. Um, he loves the solar system. is one of his biggest likes. He knows all the planets in order, close from the closest to the sun to the furthest away. He knows them all. Um, he loves going outside and and just being out in the you know the outdoors. Uh, we have a cottage down on Twelve Mile Island, which is um, on the Allegheny River, and he loves being there. Um, being out on the boats and, you know, just being with his family. Uh, his his dislikes would be basically, um, you know, certain foods, well, actually a lot of foods. He's a very picky eater. Um, you know, he doesn't have a, a ton of dislikes, but because we try to keep him pretty active and out in the public, you know, as much as we can. Is he sensitive so. to sound and, and light? Um, actually, surprisingly, he loves fireworks, which is pretty, you know, pretty different for being autistic because sounds and lights do bother, you know, most children with autism. But for some reason, he loves fireworks. So that was a big plus on our side. Uh, as far as, you know, loud sounds, yeah, they, like if he hears shouting or whatnot, or, um, you know, like at a baseball game, we can't take him to baseball games because it's a little too too much for him. Do you have other children? Uh, no, we do not. <laughs> we do not have other children. We're trying to have another child. Jason is a heavy equipment operator at Pittsburgh International Airport. He's generally on the outside looking in. He's the infrastructure guy, repairing parking lots, fixing water main breaks, and keeping those runways clear and safe. In 2015, Christina Casotis became the CEO of the Pittsburgh International Airport. When she arrived, she found, as she says, a beat-up team, and a lot of wasted physical space. With an average of 414 flights per day and 17 airlines flying in and out of their domain, Pittsburgh Airport, like all airports, touts itself as an engine to the economic development of their region. The human element within the airport is impressive. 6,000 employees serve over 9 million travelers. One of the things she instituted upon taking the job was installing CEO mailboxes around the employee areas, away from the eye of cameras, allowing for total anonymity. Handmade boxes crafted in-house, she was looking for ideas just as Presley was starting school. So when he was two, he was in a preschool readiness program, and when we went there, it was just like the worst experience ever. And I told my wife, I said, I don't think that this is going to work for us. 
And the lady that was in charge says, why don't you take him into the sensory room? And we said, all right, let's try that. So we did. And like, he stayed in there the whole day. But each time we went there, it got easier and easier. And eventually, um, he was able to participate with the other children. So I says, man, we really need something at the airport because of the, you know, all the people that travel through there. I says, you know, I know that what I was going through and how I tried to stay away from other people and, you know, um, not want to be that burden towards other people. Like when we got to eat, if he was acting up, you know, I just wanted to be respectful to other people. So whenever I thought, you know, nobody's going to travel with a child with um, special needs because maybe they feel the same way that I do. I wanted it to be so that we could all travel. And now with this sensory room, we can be in our own area and, you know, deregulate the, our children or, or, you know, our family. That Do you remember what you said in that letter? Um, yeah, basically, um, talked to my wife, Sharon, and I, I first started out by saying, you know, do you think I should do something like this? She said, you got to do it. If any, you know, you just be honest and, and write a, a nice letter telling her what you'd like to do. So I did. And I wrote this letter of just how I felt as a father and uh, I just told her everything about my son. And I did the research of, was there any airports in the world that had a sensor room? Because I'm thinking, we could be the first ever. Well, when I did my research, I did find out that um, there was a few airports that had sensory rooms. Some of them called a quiet rooms. So Christina fell in love that I did my research, you know, and she didn't just come in and just try to pitch an idea. You did your, your homework and that's what also helped in this, you know, because she just understood that if I took the initiative to do all this, it must have meant a lot to me, you know, to bring this idea to her. Let me provide some mind-blowing statistics about what Jason said. There are over 17,000 commercial airports in the world, and just under 5,100 are in the United States. What Jason discovered was that there were just seven airports in the world, seven, that offer such an accommodation for travelers with sensory sensitivity. The rooms vary in size and features, which may include extra soft seating, wavy walls, aquatic bubble tubes, and dim color-changing LED lights. But all have the same intention, to provide a quiet respite from the airport hubbub for special needs travelers in preparation of travel and interaction with others. Of the seven, two are overseas, one at Gatwick in London and the other in the single terminal airport in Shannon, Ireland. The other five are in the United States, Atlanta, Miami, Birmingham, Alabama, Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, and Lehigh Valley, Pennsylvania. There are none in major airports in New York, Chicago, or Los Angeles who individually serve anywhere from 50 million to 80 million travelers each year. Have you ever been to one of those city airports or one even bigger? Have you ever noticed the abundance of stimuli, the lights, the sounds, the crowds? 
Well, for 20% of all Americans challenged by sensory processing issues, it's a daunting experience. And currently, there's only one accommodation room for every 1,000 airports in the U.S. Think about it. Christina was on board to bring this kind of space to Pittsburgh International. One of her many responsibilities is to ensure that all passengers are welcomed equally and to provide them with a positive experience. If there are services for the inexperienced traveler or the hearing impaired, play spaces for children to stretch their legs between flights, and areas for people traveling with animals, why not a space for passengers who need the lights turned down and the hustle and bustle of the crowds to go away? for just a moment, so they can regain calm and regroup before boarding. On the call with me and Jason was Logan Williams, who also works for the Allegheny Airport Authority. I asked him what he does at the Pittsburgh Airport and his role in Presley's place. I am currently the manager of organizational development at the airport. Um, So I work on all of our performance management, our training programs, our annual strategic planning process, workforce planning. Um, And my role in the Presley's place was that I was actually the leader of the whole project. So once um, Jason's message got to Christina, she put together a team of people and appointed me as the lead of the project and basically gave me Jason's idea and said, go with it. So had you ever met him before? I no, I don't believe that Jason and I met prior to this. And so that's what I did. I ran with it. <laughs> there has to be a lot of listening and learning in deciding what Presley's place looks like. So who were the principal players between besides the two of you in the design of the sensory room and what experience did anybody any of the other players have in building a space like this? Yeah, so we had a committee um, for putting the project together. So it had all of the internally affected departments like our engineering, our business development, our facilities. Um, We hired a design firm to work with us on designing the room. Um, And we certainly, you know, took what Jason told to Christina and what and what um, the research that we did on our own for the sensory room. But then I was the one that told Jason he couldn't be a part of it anymore. <laughs> I said, Jason, I said, Jason, we got your ideas, but now I want it to be a surprise for you. So I'm cutting you off. <laughs> oh, I cut no. him out. Oh, God. Jason, um, I mean, Jason, what was your response to that? <laughs> um, at first, I was like, oh, man, I really wanted to be a big part of this because I, you know, my son means the world to me. And when I couldn't be, I said, oh man, this isn't going to be good because (laughs) of the fact that, you know, I'm there for my son for everything. And if this was going to be the biggest thing of my life that I've ever done, I wanted to be a part of it. But I understood and swallowed my pride and said, go ahead, have at it. Surprise me. Logan knew that his first task had to be assembling a diverse and well-representing team of voices. 
experts in the design of these kinds of spaces, sensory processing caregivers, input for those directly affected by these challenges, community and disability advocacy groups, and destination airports with their own sensory room accommodations already in place. Sensory rooms are built to meet multiple objectives because not everyone has the same or even similar processing skills. Occupational therapists have been using spaces like these for years. An individual's sensitivities are ingrained, so the object of these special places is not to take away their brain's sensitivity to certain stimuli, but to train their brain to develop coping mechanisms and tools that will serve them well out in the world. Logan's challenge was how to execute that. We'll be right back. Enjoying this episode of Impactually. The team at Hum Productions works hard to leverage our episodes with the incredible and inspiring impact of our guests. If you want to support the show and be more in the know of what's coming up with Impactually, you're invited to support us on Patreon. Whether it's branded swag, earning producer level credits, gaining access to scripts, or learning what's happening behind the scenes, you can get those and more if you go to patreon.com forward slash impactually that's patreon.com forward slash impactually yes so the one thing jason was able to do was we held um uh we held a public forum where we invited the public to come in um and provide their input on what they believe a sensory room should look like feel like sound like I mean, we asked um, advocacy groups in the Pittsburgh region to come out and provide us their input from organizational perspectives. Um, So like, what have they seen in different sensory rooms? What do they feel it should do? This is what I need as an individual who has autism. This is what I need out of the room. And somebody else would say, well, this is what I need. And this is how I need it to to feel in the ambiance. And this is how I need it to, to... how I need for the for the hearing. I need no noise or I need some noise. And and so what we found was we really need to provide a simplistic yet highly customized sensory room. So a space that everybody can use that allows for individual use, which are individual rooms that we put in there, a space where they can interact with others, which is what we called our family room. But then there needed to be a space for adults who don't necessarily want to be around children. And um, being I was a teacher before I came to the airport and I used to teach kids who had autism. And so I knew also that you can't just take somebody from a very quiet space where they have just de-escalated and they're in their calm space you can't just take them from that completely silent room and take them back into the terminal where there's loudspeakers overhead, there's people walking around, there's people movers. That that direct impact from one extreme to the other will just send them right back in. So 
what we did was all of our, our, our entire sensory room concept, it was all about the transitions, like a transition of completely sound proof to a little bit of sound, a little bit of light, and then back into the full terminal. So Logan and his team designed a 1,500-square-foot suite with a calming transitional foyer, a soundproof room with soft furniture where families can decompress together, crawling tunnels, rooms with tubes filled with bubbles, and a quiet space for adults. But that wasn't all. And um, what we what the biggest piece of this was was um, was the fact that they were going on a plane. So they were going to be getting on a plane, which for some people may be the first time they have ever been on a plane. And so I came up with the idea that why don't we have a airplane simulator inside of the sensory room, which would out make us stand out amongst every other sensory room in the entire world. Um, and so we did that. We got a partnership with American Airlines, and they provided us the facade of the airplane. Um, we had Carnegie Museum uh, Children's Institute put together like the background, the backdrop of what the airplane looks like on the inside. And when you walk into it, it looks like you're walking into an airplane. So it provides people another transition of going from this completely quiet space into the foyer. And then from the foyer, you can get to the airplane. You walk down what we call the, the runway, where we have the actual walls of a runway, um, the flooring of the walkway, and then you turn the corner into into what looks like a plane. And from there, you can directly exit back into the terminal so people feel like they're ready to go. They know what it's going to look like. They know what it's going to sound like. We've got a lot of partnerships like that. I mean, we have TFH USA that provides us all the sensory-friendly equipment in there. Um, I mean, it was just amazing. And when we were looking to build it, you know, we were going to go external and get a contractor, uh, but we ended up deciding to do it in-house. So we used all of our own employees to build the sensory room, which makes it that much more special. Yeah, because um, some of our, you know, fellow employees, they have children or family members with special needs. So they put their heart and soul into it. Just like, you know, if I was able to work on it, I would have put everything that I had into it. And that made it even more special. Jason, did you know that the room would be named after Presley before well, before Logan <laughs> told you that you couldn't come into the space anymore? No, I did not. Actually, I asked that if you guys make this, could you name it like Presley's play playground or something like that? Name it after my son. And Christina was up front and forward with me and said, I don't think that's going to happen because there's too many people that, you know, donated a lot of money and they may want the naming rights. So I understood that. I says, whatever, as long as the place gets built. Logan was determined to name it after Presley. But sponsors weren't the only concern. You see, the estate of the late Elvis Presley, the king of rock and roll, owns the naming rights for Elvis and Presley. Any entity that wishes to use either of those names needs permission. A week out from the grand opening, the Presley estate called Logan, letting him know the request was still in review, which sent Logan into a panic. There was no contingency plan other than to call it Presley's Place. He was too invested in Jason and Presley and couldn't let them down. 
At the 11th hour, permission was granted and signage was installed just as Presley, Sharon, and Jason were welcomed to the grand opening. So they kept it a secret that whole time. Logan, how hard was that? I told him he wasn't allowed to step foot. There's a reason. (laughs) (laughs) Naming it after Jason's son was was a no-brainer. Now, Presley was in Presley's place at the grand opening, and he fell in love with it. And that's where you got to see all my co-workers that, that had worked on the place, and Logan and Christina actually see what this had done to Presley. And they knew right then and there that they did something amazing. I didn't get to experience it with Presley as far as taking a trip, but I have walked up to Presley's place just to go inside and take it all in. And the one time I did, there was a um, young woman in there, you know, probably in her 20s. And, you know, I didn't expect anybody to be in there at the time. So I just walked in I, and then I started talking to her. And I told her who I was and um, she told me, you know, thank you um, for doing this. She told me that she had autism and her flight was delayed. So she was just taking it all in, sitting in the airplane, getting herself prepared. And once you see that, you like, I start to tear up because you realize what you just did. I knew what I did for my son, but I didn't realize what I did for everybody at the time until I met that woman. And she said, my boyfriend's in the quiet room. He also has autism. So then it really hit me. I said, wow, this is amazing, you know. Caitlin Bennett is from Denver, and her mom, Maureen, a Pittsburgh native, traveled to Pittsburgh shortly after Presley's place opened. Caitlin has a genetic disorder called GRIN1. She's not autistic, but like many with autism, she's nonverbal. She has intellectual challenges and requires help with personal hygiene needs. So, Caitlin... um came on into the world as like kind of a typical kid and everything seemed pretty perfect for a good six, seven months. Um, And it was somewhere in that range of eight to 10 months where we realized that she was really missing a lot of milestones. So things like rolling over and sitting up and kind of engaging with mom, dad, sissy, the whole thing. And it was, it was a little disconcerting only because we had just kind of gone through it. Her sister was not even two years older than her. Um, And it wasn't until around her 10th birthday that we did a whole genetic test. It's called the whole exome sequencing test. And that's when we discovered that Caitlin has a mutation in her GRIN1 gene. And GRIN1 is among seven GRIN genes that every human being has. And they are related to the brain's ability to learn and have memory. Um, and right now in the world, there are fewer than 500 known people who have a grin disorder. Um, so Caitlin is still very unique, um, very special. Now at age 14, Caitlin has, um, a lot of challenges. So she is 
disabled from the perspective of her cognitive abilities. Um, Caitlin has no speech. Um, she's a nonverbal communicator, and, and even that is limited. You know, because the speech language is such a challenge, she has a really high level of um, sensory issues. Um, but she's got a lot of strengths at the same time. She's funny. She's beautiful. She's sweet. She's huggy. She loves affection. She um, loves nothing more than to like be in the outside world and swing and run around. And she's helped us learn that difference is okay. Difference is just difference. Um, and there are things that make her really, really special. So we, we've, we feel like we've been kind of blessed in many ways by, by all of her challenges and all of her many strengths. Maureen and I were connected because she's the cousin of a dear friend. This friend knew we were working on this story about Presley's place and also knew that the Bennetts had traveled recently from Denver to Pittsburgh. I wanted to know what it was like traveling as a family. Well, that's been fun. (laughs) Um, My husband and I are both from back east, and we have both come from families that we're very close to and that we really want to maintain good relationships with and make sure our kids have cousins and we see our parents and that kind of thing. So we have always made an effort to travel. And there were many years where it was really easy and Caitlin was, you know, really kind of chill and we kind of pushed her on through in her stroller. But as the years have gone by, it's gotten more and more challenging, to be perfectly honest. There was a time when Caitlin would sit in her seat and put her feet up on the seat in front of her on a plane and just kick and push on that chair for like the whole four-hour flight. And this was very uncomfortable and very hard to explain to people like, I'm so sorry. I wish I could make her stop it, but she doesn't understand. Like she she really doesn't. Um, it, it's hard because... because <laughs> Because Caitlin looks like a typical kid and she can run and she can walk, you are often overlooked as like someone who might need some help. She also has no real sense of safety and security, so she can jet off. I think the hardest part is that she clearly herself is struggling and and it it can come off to other travelers as like, wow, listen to that bratty kid screaming and why aren't the parents taking care of whatever the problem is. And I'm like, gosh, if I could shut down some of the lights and get rid of half of the people in this building, (laughs) then I would totally quiet her down. Um, But it's really overwhelming. It's a very stimulating experience to go through an airport. Um, I get really nervous for just her own sort of calmness like that she desperately needs. So we, we take it one little leg at a time. Um, we still do it because it's worth it, but it's, it's, it's definitely hard. <laughs> Maureen then shared her experience of traveling alone with Caitlin to Pittsburgh and how she came upon Presley's place. So in January of 2020, this year, before everything shut down, um, Caitlin had an appointment with a vision specialist that happens to only be in Pittsburgh. So we went, um, just she and I, on a flight Um, from Denver to Pittsburgh, and then back the other way. And it was on our return from Pittsburgh to Denver that we were kind of coming through our 
security experience. Um, and I had to take her out of her stroller because they had to scan that separately. I had all this stuff and security going through the belt. And it was really busy, really, really busy. And Caitlin was really overwhelmed. And she's sort of like gripping her hands and wringing her hands. And she's shouting like, oh, oh you know, like I don't know what to do. And so as soon as I got everything on the belt, we both went through the little um, metal detector and she darted off and just bolted. And meanwhile, I have all this stuff kind of coming through the on the belt. <laughs> and in Pittsburgh, I don't know if you've ever been to the airport, but they have um, trains that you hop on to go to the, ter- the airside part of the, the airport. And they're right there by security. And I thought, oh my gosh, she's going to go run and get on a train and I'm going to lose her. And so I'm kind of like leaving her stuff on the belt. And this woman goes, I've got her. I've got her. And this lovely woman and one of her partners over there in TSA went over to Caitlin and they never touched her. They kind of just like surrounded her and kind of gently kind of guided her back to where I was standing. And at that point, I was able to put her stroller back together and put her in and buckle her in. And I just like looked at this woman and I was like, thank you so much. Thank you so much. And then she said, you have to go check out Presley's place. And it's in Terminal A. And it's, you know, it's for folks who have uh, sensory issues and challenges with airport travel. And I think you'll find it really soothing. So we immediately went there because we actually had quite a bit of time before our flight. And so I had some food for Caitlin and we found Presley's place. And it was well marked. And there's a little button and you just call and say who you are and they give you a code to get in. So it's not like anybody can just kind of walk on in there. Um, so we went into Presley's place and I I just, I wanted to cry. I was so happy because the airport was so loud and so crazy. And the first thing you notice about walking into Presley's place is it's so quiet. It's so peaceful. I asked if she could see her calming down and how she knew. She wrings her hands when she's in distress, when she's stressed out. So she was, she'll sit there and she'll wring her hands and wring her hands. And she just kind of stopped and she just sat there. And I, it, just, it was so peaceful and it was exactly what we needed. Um, so I let her out of her stroller. She could walk all around and there's really nice, comfortable seats and she's just exploring the room. And it's so perfectly safe because there's nowhere where she could kind of hide and get lost in there. And we just need silence. Um, but it made the whole security craziness just kind of go away. And we were just able to just rest and get ready for the next part, which is actually flying on the plane, right? So it felt like it was perfectly timed and perfectly placed where we needed it. Um, I can't emphasize enough what a blessing it was. I asked her what the flight was like after being in Presley's place. I think the flight went 10 times better because we had that chance at Presley's place to sort of relax and, and chill out. Then I think the next step didn't seem so bad. We, we just sort of did it. It wasn't just the quiet of Presley's Place that impressed Maureen. There's another piece of Presley's Place and this effort with, with traveling that is, is absolutely important to talk about. And that so was, is with regard to an area that you are able to change um, a non-baby, a full-size human being 
change a, a diaper. So Caitlin um, wears a diaper. And in most public places, the changing facility that is provided is naturally for like an under two-year-old body. Um, and so a lot of families with kids who have special needs have this challenge of where do we safely and cleanly change our our family member. Um, and Presley's Place has as a part of it a an, an adult changing family restroom and it has a full size, for lack of a better term, changing table where you can in a clean and safe environment lay down a person to change them. This is for me one of the biggest game changers um, with traveling. And and Caitlin, you know, I've gotten really good at, at changing her standing up, but that's not easy. But I won't lay her on the ground of a public restroom. And and this is a this is a really sort of sad reality to to raising a young adult um, or any family member above the age of two um, who has the the inability to use a, a regular restroom. So when that was presented as a piece of of this Presley's Place puzzle, I almost cried. I almost cried because I thought, thank you. Thank you for for allowing me to do this for, for my girl because she deserves so much more. Um, I'm really grateful for any facility, any airport, any public place that has the the thought um, to put something together for, for these many, many human beings who, who need that. It was, it's a true game changer. We've heard from parents uh, of adult children with neurological disorders that one of the greatest features at the Pittsburgh airport is the adult changing room. Was that there before Presley's place or was it added during construction as part of this pit expanding accessibility plan? I mean, nobody understands. I didn't understand before I had Presley. Nobody thinks, where would you change a 50, 60 pound child or an elderly adult who's um, maybe 180 pounds on the floor in a bathroom? It was part of um, the project. It was not there prior. Um, so when we were putting together the sensory room, the one question that I kept bringing up to everybody was, well, what do we do about a bathroom? I said, you know, if we're going to get them into the space, how do we get them to then leave the space to walk, you know, however far it was to the nearest bathroom, a half mile, you know, three, however far, um, so we came up with a lot of different options on what do we do about the bathroom. But a lot of people who have um, those type of sensitivities, uh, you know, can't deal with smells. And so we didn't want to have a bathroom that was connected directly to the sensory room. So we did add a bathroom and we connected it um, outside of the sensory room, basically right beside the sensory room door. So it wasn't too far of a walk. Um, and while we were doing that, you know, the idea came at that time around these um, adult changing tables. And we got reached out by a woman whose son needs adult changing tables. And she said they don't have them anywhere. Like within the Pittsburgh region, they're very scarce and they're becoming a thing that people need. And a lot of people don't even realize they don't have. Um, I added it to my list of 
this is what I would like in this in this as part of the sensory room project is that we add on a bathroom and we get an adult changing table. It would be the first one in the airport. It would be the first one in our region, really. Um, and once I got the okay from uh, the board to do it, I went and I found um, a company who donated the adult changing table. And as part of the donation, they also donated a sink that is um, adjustable up or down based off of if a person is in a wheelchair. Uh, and that donation by Max Ability um, was, was incredible. So that was just another one of those things where we incorporated it as part of the sensory room project, but that bathroom is not only just for the people that use the sensory room. It's for anybody that comes to the airport and needs to use an adult changing table. Um, and that really stuck with the theme that I had around simplistic yet highly customized. It's really all, it's really a well-rounded project that I couldn't be more extremely proud of. I'm going to ask this to both of you. Did you have any idea what kind of a, an incredible community you were going to build from this? Um, not, I didn't realize what it was going to be. You know, I just thought, okay, um, when I proposed it, I thought it was going to just be maybe a 10 by 10 room, you know, and that it was just going to help the people that wanted to travel you know, be able to travel. And, you know, I'll never forget that day that Logan said, listen, we're going bigger. We're going home. We're going to be the airport that people come to us and says, can we replicate your airport? And I'll never forget that. He put his whole life into it at the time and he crushed it. I mean, it's just, you're speechless when you walk into this room the, the everything that he has done there's a touch screen and see where you're at you can move it to see where you you know restaurants um your your gates anything that you want is at your hands in that century room and there is so you don't ever have to leave there until you're ready to take your flight so not only does it care for the people who do have sensory issues but it also cares for the caregivers correct Logan, do you have anybody in your family who has special needs? I do not. Um, you know, it's really easy to forget what other people have to go through when you don't have to live with it day to day. Um, it, I mean, who could pass up on that opportunity? And being able to get to know the people within the autism community and really working with those advocacy groups. I mean, there's no words to express the gratitude and the and the love that I have for this project and for Jason and his family and being able to do this for them. I mean, it's just been a highlight of my life, really. And I'm ho I'm hoping that it, it catches on. So it's just not just airports we're looking for. We're looking for a lot of places to put in sensory rooms so that we can enjoy the things that typical families or, you know, um, typical children get to do. My final question to Maureen was if she had the chance to talk to Jason Rudge or Logan Williams, what would she say to them or what would she ask them? <laughs> well, first and foremost, I would say thank you. Thank you for making travel accessible 
for my family and for all the families who have kiddos like Caitlin or like Presley. Um, thank you for your inclusivity to this community that is is a big part of the world. Um, so that would be a big tearful part of my conversation with them. <laughs> but as far as what to ask them, it's, you know, where do you start? And how do you take this experience from start to finish in Pittsburgh to an airport equally large, if not, well, actually probably quite a bit bigger um, and make it happen. And where do you start? That would be my name question, because I want, even if it can't be me, I could be a part of it. And if I could put myself together with the right people, I know that wonderful things could happen. That's what I need. I need a Logan. Since this episode aired, Maureen, along with her sister Joan, who after hearing the show also wanted to be a part of the airport accessibility movement, did connect with Logan. And while the pandemic and everyday life with a child of special needs has created some temporary roadblocks, they remain steadfast in their advocacy to build a sensory room in Denver. We are also happy to report that several airports in the United States and abroad recently introduced sensory rooms of their own. They include London's Heathrow, Abu Dhabi International, Kansas City, and Seattle-Tacoma airports. Impactually is created and produced in cooperation with HUM Productions. Our web address is HUM, that's H-U-M-M, productions.com. Financial support for the show is provided by JLB Images and listeners like you who support us on Patreon. That's patreon.com forward slash impactually. We'd like to extend our sincerest thanks to our guests, Jason Rudge, Logan Williams, and Maureen Bennett. Our sincerest gratitude also goes to Bob Kerlick, Executive Director of Media Relations at the Allegheny County Airport Authority, and to Karen Poole at TFH Special Needs Toys for helping us facilitate this incredible and heartwarming story. For more information about Presley's Place and access information about other airport sensory rooms, we have links in our show notes. Special thanks to Serena Ray for providing her song, Caught in Between, for this episode. A link to her website can be found in our show notes, and her music is available on all major streaming platforms. And our team, Christine Murdoch, senior producer and editor. Sound engineering by Matt Wheeler and Andy Shoemaker. James Nash, director of operations. Jack Bechtold, director of production. Music curation by L. Lively of Crooked Tree Creative. Richard Cassis of Spark, Inc. and Lee Bechtold, for digital artwork and web design, and to Andrew Sachs, who wrote and performed our original theme. I'm Brooke Bechtold, executive producer and host. Subscribe and listen to us on iTunes, Spotify, Pandora, Radio Public, 
or wherever you get your podcasts. Leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. We really appreciate it as it helps others find us too. We'd love to hear from you, so send us an email or find us on social media. Pitch us ideas about people who you think would be great to be on the show. Maybe it's even you. We'll be back soon with another extraordinary episode. Everyone has a story. Share. Thank you.